Welcome to the Alpha Ministries podcast. Alpha Ministries is a recovery church whose mission is to teach individuals and institutions to recognize and apply the gospel of grace, building stronger families and communities. Today's podcast is sponsored by TJB Web Media, a New Jersey SEO marketing and WordPress web design company for businesses, churches, and nonprofits. It's ranked number one in Google for New Jersey SEO companies and New Jersey internet marketing companies. They will help you enhance a website if you have one already, build a brand new website, or tell you how to get the most traffic to your website. Contact them. All the information is in the show notes. Today's podcast is a message from First Peter. The next two messages that you'll hear, John Glenn talks about suffering. And it's something that we all go through and that we all experience. So without further delay, here's John. So I want to get right down to our study on suffering. <laughs> Any of you guys ever suffer? You have a little suffering in your life? Well, this is for you. Actually, the whole first letter of Peter, his first general letter is to people who are suffering. Now, you can only imagine... You know, as he begins, I'm going to read the first nine verses to you again. We're going to go over that again. Uh, I introduced it to you last week, but there's too much stuff in here just to skip over it. Okay. I want you to see some other little nuggets of truth that Peter shares with us. Now, remember, we studied probably about two months worth, about two months worth of study on Peter's biography from the scriptures because Peter is one of those characters in the Bible that you know is very prominent in the New Testament in the gospels and every list of Jesus disciples Peter's right there at the head of the list he was always speaking up and expressing to Jesus and others the sentiments and feelings of the other guys with him. So he's one of those natural-born leaders, you know, which sometimes is good and sometimes it's bad to be natural. If you're a natural-born leader of a gang, that's probably not good, but you're a leader nonetheless. That's what Peter was. He was a natural-born leader. And to watch Jesus change him as his name change suggests, from Simon, a reed, to Petros, a rock, is to watch Jesus transform this man into his own image and give him the grace he needs to accomplish the purpose he'd sent him for. And so we looked at all that just by way of reminding us of the right and the information that Peter has to write this letter to us in the first place. Now, as I said, the general theme of the letter is suffering. He addresses the whole subject of our suffering in this world. And, of course, and that being said, you might expect 
<clears throat> Peter to be a little pooched mouth because of all the suffering he'd gone through. You know, he'd been in and out of jail. He'd been threatened. He'd been kicked out. He'd, I mean, he went through a lot of suffering himself personally. But he's not at all feeling sorry for himself. Not at all. Because of what he's about to share with us in this letter. And I think that's a valuable lesson for us today. You know, he wrote it, you know, to the, he calls them strangers, really exiles that were scattered abroad. These were his contemporaries in Jerusalem before the great persecution that came about because of Saul of Tarsus, who later became Paul. It just shows you the miraculous power of God and changing folks. And so, because of all that persecution, people left. They, they left Jerusalem. Now, some of them had homes elsewhere. You know, they were from different countries and different little provinces and so on uh, for the feast day at Jerusalem. And so they went home. But undoubtedly, there were many of them there in Jerusalem who their homes were no longer their homes because of the persecution. Uh, they had to leave at risk of their life. They had to leave. Leaving in those days and going, like he tells us here, into the northern regions of what's modern-day Turkey, going from Jerusalem to Turkey, that's a journey. Okay, That's no small task. Dangerous in and of itself. And so undoubtedly these folks were experiencing suffering even though they escaped some persecution from Jerusalem. But be that as may, he's writing not only to these exiles, but to those he calls the elect of God, the chosen of God. And here's the connection I want you to make. That's you. You're the chosen of God. Now, I'll show you why here in the verses as we read them here in a moment. But I want you to make this personal connection so that you can get the personal value and benefit of what Peter is writing us, writing to us about. So let's just read these verses again just as a reminder, and you can follow along if you want to. First Peter, I'm going to go ahead and start in verse 1. Because it's, I think, important that you hear it, at least, if not read it, study it, that you hear what he has to say. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively or living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, 
and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now, for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love, in whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. That's a heck of a way to start out a letter, isn't it? There's a lot in there that he wants us to not want us to look at it and just take it a piece at a time and see what he's what he's really saying here. The first thing I want you to notice is that he didn't start off by saying, I know how bad you feel. I know all the trials you've gone through. I know all the persecution. I know all the loss and the pain that you have felt. You can start off with that. Even though the book is intended to comfort us. He didn't start off with describing what's missing. Well, we don't have. He started off describing what we do have. Now that, to me, is highly significant. Because if you're like I am naturally, you wake up in the day and you wonder, and your mind immediately goes to, well, what have I got to do? You know, what do I need to get done? What do I, this, that, and the other. Or in times of, of conflict or suffering, you, you wake up worrying about that kind of stuff. You're worrying about what you don't have instead of thinking about what you do have. And that's a basic mistake of humanity. All of us do that. It's a natural tendency. Because we are born selfish and self-centered, just because you grow up and mature into adulthood doesn't mean you lose that selfishness and self-centeredness of a child. That's called the flesh, the human nature, if you will. And human nature does not focus on what we have, it focuses on what we don't have. It doesn't focus on what's positive and what's good, it focuses on what's negative and what's bad. Now there's a specific reason we do that, psychologically we do that, because we're trying to prepare ourselves. We're trying to, in some way, save ourselves from hurt, from pain, from suffering. What I've learned over the years, not only personally, but in sharing with other people, is that you can't save yourself from hurt. You can't save yourself from suffering. 
There's no way to avoid it. And in fact, sometimes the harder you try to avoid it, the more you increase your suffering. You see, that's a hard lesson to come to. And being as hard-headed as I am, you probably have to go through pretty serious stuff to, to learn that. But you can't avoid it. There's no way you can avoid that suffering. What we do have, and this is what Peter's getting to here, what we do have is a means of coping with that suffering. And more than coping with it, enduring it, winning through that suffering. And that's what he's trying to reveal to us here on a general level. But let's take it apart and look at some of the some of the specifics of that. He says, first of all, you're elect, you're chosen of God. That's a good thing. And that God is the same Father Jesus talked about. And you are chosen through His work, through sanctification of His Spirit. Sanctification just simply means He set you apart for His use. And not only that, you have been purified, sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. You have been forgiven of all sins. You have, made, you have been made holy and righteous without blame before Him in love. Now, God did all that. He's done it for you. And so, Peter ends that just simply saying, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Now, that part of the good news that we have is a little hard for us because it's intangible. It's a little hard for us to grab hold of. And so Peter goes on to give us a second blessing that we have. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, what's he saying here? This is probably the greatest blessing of God's grace that you could ever receive. He has, the way Peter described it, begotten you again unto a living hope. What does that mean? That means you have been born again. That means you have a new life and a new destiny as a child of God. A lot of people don't really understand the significance of that. They don't really let it impact their lives in the way it should. The fact that you are one of God's kids, that you are part of His family, that you've not only been born into His family, but you've also, according to Paul in Romans 8, been adopted into His family legally. The fact that you are a child of God brings a whole host of blessings, most of which we don't really understand yet. 
but a whole host of blessings in the spiritual realm. And even though these are spiritual blessings in the spiritual realm, an inheritance reserved for you in heaven, in the heavenlies, even though he's talking about the spiritual realm, that has a direct impact on the physical that you live in. A direct impact. And it's important that you see that. It's important that you recognize that what God does spiritually impacts your life physically here on this earth and emotionally as well. You see, what Peter's talking about, and, and I want to caution you against this, and I'll probably mention a couple times as we study this letter, what he's wanting us to understand is he's not just talking about pie in the sky by and by. Okay? Oh, yeah, I got an inheritance reserved for me in heaven. And when I get to heaven, I get to enjoy that inheritance. No, no, no. That misses the whole point. He's not just talking about the glorious future you have as a child of God that you can enjoy in the future. Mm -mm. He's talking about how those blessings impact our lives today right here in the nasty here and now. He wants you to see what God has for you right now in this world of darkness you're living in. Now, I know that we often celebrate nature as being an indication of who God is and how great He is and His power and all that kind of stuff. But folks, this world around us, beautiful as it may be, is falling apart. Did you know that? I remember going on a little camping retreat one time in the mountains of Colorado years ago. And we had a little meeting there on Sunday. We we gathered up. And we're talking about nature. And when you look out through the woods there and mountains, any woods, what you're going to see is not only the living trees and creatures running around, but you're also going to see evidence of death everywhere. Why? Because this world is under the curse. Under the curse brought on it by Adam's sin. When sin entered into this world, this world became a place that was cursed. A sin-cursed world. Now, the physicists tell us the main force of that curse is the second law of thermodynamics. Matter goes from an orderly state to a disorderly state. That's just a fancy way of saying things fall apart. Yeah, they do. Even that brand new car you bought is going to get old. Even that brand new house you moved into, yeah, it's going to get old and fall apart. And you're going to spend the rest of your life trying to fix it up. Things grow old and fall apart. That's the world we live in. Now, in Romans 8, Paul tells us that's the main reason we suffer. 
because we're living in a world in the creation that is sin cursed and groans and travails together in pain until now. That's one reason why geographical cures to get rid of your suffering never works. Because you can't go anywhere in the world that there isn't suffering. You can't go on any, anywhere in the world that you won't experience this second law of thermodynamics. But not only do we suffer because things are growing old and falling apart in this world. We suffer because we ourselves live in a sin-cursed body that is also growing old and falling apart. Are you going to get any amens on that? Hey, this congregation, I should have a whole bunch of amens on that. Okay, come on. Get real. In fact, that is the main topic of our conversation at this age is what doctor are you going to and what is he going to do to your body that's getting old and falling apart? See, all of that suffering happens to everybody. It's not just a select few. Mm-hmm. It nails everybody across the board. Everyone. And so Peter wants us to understand here. He wants us to understand how we can cope with that suffering. How we can deal with that suffering. And the comfort that we can receive in the suffering. That's why he's writing this letter. And so he starts out by telling us what we have. Man, you have an inheritance that's incorruptible undefiled and doesn't fade away you've got this blessing you are a joint heir with christ now what does that mean well you know an heir is someone who receives the inheritance right you are a joint heir with jesus of all that god has you got it all It's already given to you. You're a joint heir with Christ. And you have this inheritance that's never going to go away. The bottom line of that really is you can't lose. No matter what kind of suffering you go through, no matter what kind of deals come up, no matter the bad stuff that happens, you can't lose. Now, it can look like you're going to lose. And you can indeed feel like you are going to lose. But the truth and the reality is you cannot lose. Why? Because you have this inheritance as a child of God. You are one with Christ. You're a joint heir with Him. Jesus wasn't a loser and neither are you. There's no way you can lose. I know that's easy to say and hard to believe. And so Peter goes on here to describe the main reason you can't lose in this next verse. He says, you have an inheritance from God and you are kept by the power of God 
through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. What does that mean? The reason you can't lose is because you were kept. And that word kept is, is a Greek word that really means garrisoned. In other words, there's a guard around you that God put around you. You are guarded. Some people call it like a hedge of protection. But you are guarded by God. You're His kid. He's going to take care of you. He's responsible for you. He is guarding you. Remember when Jesus was tempted and the devil took him on that high place in the temple and they said, hey, there's a crowd gathered around down there seeing this guy stand up there. The devil said, hey, throw yourself off because it is written, he's guarding you. He will catch you lest you dare sprain your ankle and prove who you are. Of course, Jesus rebuking, saying, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. But the point is, Jesus had legions of angels surrounding him everywhere he went, every move he made. Likewise, you have the protection of God around you everywhere you go. Doesn't matter whether you're going to some place that's nice and comfortable and you're on vacation or you're going into a fiery trial. Doesn't matter. You are kept by God. He is surrounding you. He Himself. Now, in addition to that, or because of that, I should say, Peter just burst out here in verse 6 saying, wherein you greatly rejoice. But here we got a problem, don't we? Okay, we can know we have this inheritance. We can know we're a child of God. We can know all these things. And when something bad happens to us, none of that means anything. We forget it altogether. When something bad happens to us, that's all we focus on. You see, we don't focus on the positive of what we do have, but we focus on the negative of what we don't have. When something bad happens, that's natural. That's the natural tendency of the human flesh. We all do that naturally. So when Peter said, wherein you greatly rejoice, he had to add in that same verse, he had to add this little clause, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. What does that mean? You greatly rejoice even though for the short time you're going to be stressed out. That's what the word Heaviness really means, it means distressed, or in our terminology, stressed out. You're going to be under stress. You're going to be stressed out for a season. Why? Why are we going to be stressed out, Peter? Because we're going to have a lot of different temptations and trials. That's why. Life isn't a bowl of cherries. 
Life isn't all roses. Life isn't all about the good stuff. There's a lot of negative, a bunch. And you're going to have them. You're going to have to face it. Why? Because you're living in a sin-cursed world falling apart and sin-cursed bodies that are falling apart. Now notice, I didn't put the blame on you, did I? Hmm? Like many religionists do. They say, oh, well, the reason you're all stressed out and the reason you're all down in the molly grubs and the reason you're all depressed and everything is because you don't have enough faith. See, if you had enough faith, you wouldn't have to experience any of that. If you had enough faith, you wouldn't have to suffer. So let's get this out of the way already. Okay? No one on the face of this earth had more faith than Jesus. Yet no one on the face of this earth suffered more than Jesus. So get this little legalistic trip out of your head that says, okay, I'm going to trust God and I'm going to do what God tells me. I'm going to behave myself. I'm going to go to church and pretend I like people that I really resent. I'm going to ex ex expose myself as a good Christian out there. And God, you don't let anything bad happen to me or the people I love. Okay? Try to make that deal with God. You can make that deal with God if you want to. But God ain't going to make that deal with you. He didn't make that deal with Jesus. And you represent Him on this earth and He ain't going to make that deal with you. Mm-mm. So get that little legalistic idea that you can behave well enough to avoid suffering out of your head. It ain't going to happen. You're going to suffer whether you behave or not. Now, the second thing I want you to see what Peter says here about your suffering is in verse 7. He says, that the trial of your faith. See, this is what suffering is all about. I don't care what kind of suffering it is. Physical suffering, emotional suffering, relational, financial suffering. I don't care what kind of pain or loss you feel or where you think it came from. The bottom line is it's the testing of your faith. Now again, let me be clear on this. God is not testing your faith to see if you got any or not. He knows you've got faith because He's given you the faith through His Spirit. No, no, that's not why He's testing you to see if you've got any faith. Mm -mm. God is testing you to show you you have the same faith as Jesus because He's given it to you. Paul testified to that in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, when he said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by the faith 
of the Son of God. What's that? That's the faith of Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me. Now think about that a minute. It's the kind of faith Jesus had. That's the faith that's been given to you. Whether you use it or not, that's a different issue. But you have it. It's been given to you by God. You have the faith. And so the testing of your faith is situations that God allows to come into your life so that you'll see that you have the faith of Christ. And it goes along with why God allows suffering in our life is for a good reason. Now, it doesn't look like it at first, does it? Mm -mm. In fact, from the outside, any kind of bad stuff that happens to us, any kind of problems or any kind of suffering that we face, doesn't look like a reason to rejoice great, much less rejoice greatly. But that's because we don't have the right perspective. We're not looking at it through the right lens. We're looking at it from our natural point of view, limited as that is. Because all of us are limited by time, space, and matter in a physical world. So we're looking at suffering through those eyes. Wrong perspective. No, no. Peter offers a different perspective for us. It's an eternal perspective. It's the way God sees your suffering. Now, there's a whole bunch we'll be talking about concerning this, but I want to at least outline this for you before we quit today. Here's how God wants you to look at suffering. Number one, He doesn't want you to be surprised. Don't be shocked. Peter will later tell us that. Think it not strange when you fall into the fiery trial as, so, as though some strange thing happened. Don't get shocked saying, God, I've done everything I can think of to kiss your butt so you'll bless me, and yet you, you let this suffering come on me. Don't be shocked. Everybody suffers. Everybody suffers. To look at it from God's perspective is to know that you live in a sin-cursed world that is hostile to you as his child. And you live in sin-cursed bodies that yet contain the natural conditioning of the flesh. You're going to suffer. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. Learn to face it, not run from it. You see, this is the other thing that, about the shock. When people are shocked, they run away in horror. Later, chapter 5, he's going to tell us about our adversary, the devil, who is like a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. Do you know how lions hunt? They'll see their prey out there, and the female and cubs will go around behind the prey, downwind from them. Prey can't smell them, but they do smell the male lion, and they get nervous. There's a lion around here. And they get to looking around. When the females are in place, 
the male lion will come out into the open and roar with everything he's got. Now you can imagine what that does to his prey, right? They freak. Oh my God, we'll be killed. There's a lion. And they run away from him. Right into the mouths of the waiting females. That's how he kills. That male lion didn't kill anybody. When you run from your adversity, when you run from your problems, when you run and try to get away and hide, you're like an ostrich. Y'all get a picture in your mind of an ostrich sticking his head in the sand? When he does that, what is exposed? Yeah, you're exposed when you run. And by the way, you got no armor for your backside. That's because you need to face those trials, not run from them. And so Peter's going to assure us here of what all God has got for us. All the blessings. He's going to assure us of all the provisions that God has for us as we suffer in this world. In that, we greatly rejoice, even though our faith is being tested. and That's not an easy thing. Knowing that we can't lose. Seeing the end from the beginning and knowing we cannot lose gives us that joy unspeakable and full of glory. I said one other thing a minute ago. One other thing. I can't leave you hanging on this. One other thing. That joy unspeakable and full of glory doesn't mean you're running around leaping up and down Hooping and hollering and having a great time. No, no, no. God gave him that joy, unspeakable and full of glory, to Jesus as he endured the cross. He wasn't jumping up and down and cutting the fool. Mm -mm. He had an inward contentment, a satisfaction, a peace that he couldn't explain. That's the joy unspeakable. Well, what good is that? If I can't hoop and holler and celebrate and have a good time, what good is that joy unspeakable and full of glory? That's what keeps you out of your pity parties. That's what keeps you from wallowing in self-pity. That's what keeps you from defiling your testimony to others. That you were a child of God. That you were more than a conqueror. When you whine about your woundedness, and you run around, wrist to the forehead, oh, I'm suffering for Jesus. And throw a pity party for yourself. You will seriously depress yourself. And you'll live in despair. Hopelessness. Why? Because there's no joy unspeakable and full of glory. And we'll come to that next next week in our next study, the Lord willing. We'll try to explain more about that. But for right now, I want you to realize what we're trying to do by studying Peter is to equip ourselves, prepare ourselves, 
to face any and all kinds of suffering in our life because you never know. You never know what kind of suffering you're going to have to endure. But God does. He knows. In fact, He selects it for you. God's real picky about the suffering He'll let you have. It's only that suffering that'll be good for you. That's all. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank You. Thank You for everything that You've done for us in Your Son Jesus to make us a brand new person. To make us more than conquerors. To transform us from victimhood into victory. We thank You for that. We ask You to teach us that now through Your Spirit as You continue to work in our hearts and minds. For these things we pray in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Appreciate y'all being here. Go in peace. Have a good week. Thank you again for listening. If you want more access to Alpha Ministries teaching, you can like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and visit our website. All times and dates for services and other events are on our website listed in the show notes.